Okay, so now that we're on the record, we'll go ahead and call the meeting to order. First thing we'll do uh, after the meeting is called to order is we'll go to the roll call. So, uh, first, <coughs> Lucia Angel. Present. Neha Banger. Here. B. Franks Walker. Here. Richard Hervey. Here. Eric Murphy. Dawn Parrott. Mark Smith. Derek Sue. Here. Ali Yassin. Here. Okay, so we do have a quorum. Um, so first off, I uh, just want to introduce to you, my name is uh, Mike Moy. I'm the General Counsel for Alameda Health System. So that sort of makes me the, uh, the Chief Legal Officer uh, for the organization. Um, and one of the um, jobs or roles that I performed over the last year and a half or so was setting up this co-applicant board, you know, from the standpoint of working with our partners at the county to create a set of bylaws to govern the, you know, the organization, made an agreement, which you all were discussing, which is the agreement between this board uh, and the board of trustees, and then working with Heather um, on some of the administrative stuff to get this set up. So on behalf of uh, certainly our, our executive team and the organization, I'd like to thank all of you for agreeing to serve on this board. I think uh, that it should be a great experience and hopefully we'll make it a rewarding experience for you. Um, so what we'll do today, this is really just sort of getting started, uh, this meeting and the first couple of meetings. Um, and so uh, in a moment, the first thing that we'll do is elect the chair. We'll see, you know, if, you're all, if you all are ready to elect a chair for the, um, uh, you know, for the board. And then we have a few orientation things that we want to go through. Talk a little bit about board uh, responsibilities and board member responsibilities. Uh, my colleague Alex Pena. Uh, who's our Associate General Counsel and who will act as counsel to this board. We'll talk to you a little bit about the Brown Act and what that means for you. Uh, and then Heather will talk about the bylaws, you know, some of the highlights from the bylaws uh, and the co-op agreement, which is the agreement between this board uh, and the Board of Trustees. And then she will provide a report to you, which will be the only real business item we have for this meeting, uh, and then we'll adjourn. So we're going to make it um, kind of uh, easy, uh, not too painful for you today. Um, the first thing I think, though, is, is this may be a little bit, uh, I shouldn't say painful, but why don't we go around the room, have everyone introduce themselves, okay, and what their role is, you know, because you all will be spending time together, um, and so it's, you know, probably good to know each other. So why don't we start here, Heather, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, and we'll go around. Great. So I'm Heather McDonald-Fine. I'm the practice manager here at Alameda Health System, and so I do a lot of operational work with the Homeless Health Center, including working very closely with the Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless program, which is the recipient of our grant, uh, as well as overseeing some direct services like the mobile health clinic that serves patients experiencing homelessness. And I will play a strong role in helping to prepare uh, items for you. I'm a a good resource you can reach out to me with any questions i'm also probably your primary liaison here with our organization at this point i'm b franks walker did you need more from me <laughs> whatever you would like to say about yourself well i'm retired and i'm in hayward and i'm looking forward to working with the board very much hi everyone i'm lucia angel um i'm the operations manager at a community clinic and for the San Francisco department of public health um, I live in Alameda, and uh, yeah, good to be here. Thank you. Good evening. Uh, my name is Ali Yasin. Um, I am a manager at Stanford Hospital for Patient Access Services. I'm also a graduate student um, working on my healthcare administration degree and MBA, um, and I'm fortunate to work with you all today. 
Yes, here. David, want, if you could introduce yourself. I'm David Bonersbach from the Alameda County Health Care for the Homeless Program. I'm Brenda Chan. I am Heather, a project assistant. So I will be supporting you guys where you guys need and maybe like, you know, call you guys, harass you guys, <laughs> so you guys remind or something like that. Excellent. Thank you. So very well. So our first order of business here will be to elect the chair of the board. Okay. Um, so what does the chair of the board do? The chair of the board presides over the meetings, uh, basically calls the meeting to order, and then makes sure that things run <coughs> fairly smoothly uh, throughout the meeting. Um, <coughs> the chair isn't paid anything extra to do this, um, but you do have, you know, the authority during the course of the meeting to, you know, recognize people to have them speak that sort of thing. The other thing that the chair does, which I think is important, is the chair is the one who will work with Heather on deciding the agenda for the meetings, what things to cover. And so typically, you know, what we do as the staff, you know, supporting this board is we will identify things that you need to do. So, for example, you know, if you need to approve a budget or you need to, you know, take some other sort of regulatory action, we will bring that to your attention and make sure that that gets on a board meeting agenda. Uh, we'll also sort of map out, you know, a course of discussions that it makes sense for you to have over the course of the year. You know, there are certain times of the year where you may want to talk about certain operational programs, you know, the budget, you know, anything along those lines. So that's what the staff is there to help. But the uh, president of the board, you know, basically we look to the president to help us make sure that we're providing or identifying things for the board to talk about that would be important for the board. And so if there's, you know, an issue that uh, the president thinks, you know, is, um, would be good for the board to discuss, then you know, Heather works with them to see when it's appropriate to put that onto the agenda. Um, if we ever need, you know, um, if the opportunity arises, you know, where uh, something needs to be done that involves the board, typically Heather will interact with the president to let him or her know, look, we had a request, you know, for this, that, or the other. We're going to, here's how we're going to, you know, respond to it. And typically, if it's something administrative within the authority of the board, then, you know, Heather working with the board chair would. Uh, decide, you know, how to handle or how to deal with that. Uh, the chair also has, you know, some authority under the bylaws to appoint, you know, uh, chairs of committees and people to committees, and so that's, again, something that, you know, would work with, you know, Heather uh, in terms of performing that duty. So, so those are, generally speaking, the things that, you know, accompany being the chair of the board. Are there any questions about any of those responsibilities? It, the primary qualification uh, that you all meet is that you, know, you are living and breathing, so that's, <laughs> that's basically uh, what, what's necessary to become the uh, chair. So uh, at this point, uh, and before I do that, hello, your hey, name? Mark. 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 Okay. Sorry, I'm late. Absolutely no problem, Mark. We're just getting started here. So we're on our first agenda item, which is a, the election of a board chair. 
So what I will do at this point, I will ask if there are any nominations, um, meaning that any of you could nominate one of your colleagues to be the chair, okay? Or if there are any volunteers to serve as the chair of the board. I have a question. Yes. Um, I'm, what I was wrestling with in considering a chairman was the idea that, of course, we're people that are total strangers to one another, and so we don't know each other well, Yes. Uh, if at all. Yes. And how are we su uh, supposed to determine um, who is the best choice for chairman under those conditions? That's a very good question. So oftentimes what happens with new boards when they're forming is that someone might volunteer to serve as the chair just to get things started. And then after a period of time, that person might offer to step down, okay, and open up and have an election of a new chair. That okay. way, after everyone has had the opportunity to sort of get to know each other and, and who might do good in that role as far as it goes. So that's one way you can handle it. Okay. One other question. Mm -hmm. um, it might have been broached before I came in, but I think what's important too to, to maybe help some, uh, give people guidance as to who might be... Um, who 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 might be uh, the most best choice in, in terms of the chairman would possibly uh, to make decisions a little bit for people to make a more cogent decision. It might be important to discuss um, if somebody is whoever is appointed chairman. Uh, what are what would be expected of them? What would be their duties? Okay, yeah, and we did talk about that a little <laughs> oh, bit. Oh, I'm but, sorry. But, but, okay. No, that's okay. We can go through it again. So, as I pointed out, the chair presides over the meetings. You know, meaning calls the meeting to order, recognizes people when they speak, makes sure that you work your way through the agenda. Uh, the chair is also responsible for coordinating with Heather in advance of the meeting on the agenda for the meeting. Okay. And, uh, basically, there's a lot of support the staff provides in putting things onto the agenda, but we look to the president to say that he or she, yes, that looks good to us, or if they want to add items to the agenda, they can add items to the agenda as well, too. There may be occasions when the uh, bo uh, board chair may need to make um, administrative determinations or answer questions on behalf of the board. So, for example, you know, Heather might contact you and say, look, we've had a you know, request for a couple of board members to do this, that, or other. Are you okay with that? Would you like me to go ahead and take care of that? That type of thing. Okay. Uh, and um, would it be required um, if whoever becomes board chair, uh, is there any requirement, at least given the bylaws that have been adopted that I haven't seen, um, is it predicated on the um, on the new chair uh, at some point uh, to, to meet um, the Board of Trustees at any given time uh, without the full body uh, uh, in any circumstance? Okay, that's a very good question. So <clears throat> one of the things that, you know, I think would make sense for you all to discuss as a board uh, at some point is how you want to interact with the Board of Trustees. Okay. Um, and so, for example, as the chair of the board, you typically are the representative of the board. And so if you all, you know, let's say that you put an agenda item to discuss relationship with the Board of Trustees, you discuss it, and you say, well, you know, we think, we think it would make sense for us to, you know, have a joint meeting with them or to meet with them once a quarter, um, and the Board agrees, then you might delegate the chair to contact the chair of the Board of Trustees to discuss setting up something like that. Okay. So that, that could be one of the responsibilities, too. Okay, the other question would be, um, um, if at any given time um, said chairman uh, would want to meet with, uh, well, actually, um, let me ask it in reverse. Um, 
if I may be presumptuous, you probably know a lot of members of the of the board of trustees, and if that's the case, uh, would you uh, would you would you venture a guess, or uh, yeah, venture a guess um, that that it's possible that they they in turn might want to ask to meet us uh, as opposed to us meeting them at any given time. Yes. So I know that there we have a couple of members of the board of trustees who. Um, by virtue of their jobs, they are involved with a lot of things that are covered by this Healthcare for the Homeless Center. So our board chair, Joe DeVries, <coughs> excuse me, uh, manages homeless, homeless programs for the city of Oakland. Uh, another one of our board members uh, is the president and CEO of uh, Abode, which still, you know, basically focuses on, you know, providing housing um, options, you know, for, you know, underserved communities. You know, a couple of folks like that. So I think that there will likely be an interest in you know finding the right level of interaction between you folks and our board. Uh, understand that you know one of the purposes of this board is to ensure that the programs the organization is providing you know to serve the homeless you know are the right programs. And so I think our board is going to look to you for guidance in terms of ensuring that we're doing the things that we would want to do. Uh, as an organization to serve this community, uh, and that's specifically the purpose of setting up you know, this board is to ensure that um, there is a group of folks who have the right level of expertise to deal with these issues. Okay, and a uh, question about the chairman? Mm -hmm. um, as I understand it... Or chairwoman, just putting that in. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, what did you say? Or chairwoman. Oh, chairwoman, I'm sorry. Chairwoman, chairman, chairman, chairwoman, I'm sorry. Um, my, my, my question is, uh, as I also understand it, that um, whoever becomes chairman, and including the members of, of the body, uh, all meetings would be... Um, conducted uh, under the Roberts Rules of Order? Uh, so, again, a good point. So, you know, I would say a modified set of Roberts Rules of Order. Um, you know, I think it's going to be important that the board has the opportunity for, you know, easy collaboration and engagement. Um, and so, you know, a strict adherence to the Roberts Rules of Order is probably would be a little bit difficult, you know, without um, getting into a lot of detail. But right. some of the basic things in terms of ensuring the meeting is called to order, ensuring that if there's a motion made that there's a second to it, uh, you know, basically ensuring that, you know, conversation happens in an orderly fashion by, you know, where necessary, recognizing people, you know, that type of thing. So, so we look to Robert's rules, you know, as a guide, but I would not say that, you know, um, it's going to be that every point has to go specifically according to that. So. Okay. Uh, now I'll be quiet. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. That's okay. And so, um, I would like to uh, have the record reflect that Eric Murphy has joined us. Is that correct, Eric? This is correct. Okay. So uh, we're on our first agenda item. We're talking about uh, the election of a board chair. Um, and, you know, I didn't get a chance to. So uh, if you could just introduce yourself uh, to the rest of the board members, we did that before you came. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm um, Eric Murphy. I'm an artist, also patient here, and curator. And, uh, so, uh, Commissioner of the Alameda County Arts Commission. Okay, excellent. Thank you and welcome. And Mark, we didn't get a chance to ask you if you just wanted to say a few words about yourself. 
Um, I'm Mark Smith. I, 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 I jokingly call myself a professional patient and because I've been through a lot of different health systems because of my own health issues, I think I have uh, something to bring. Um, but aside from that, also, I, I also sit on three boards uh, currently at another clinic, okay. uh, the Trust Clinic in uh, downtown Oakland. Okay, very good. <coughs> so, if there are there any other questions about... Yes, ma'am. Uh, a couple questions. Mm -hmm. uh, one, is there like a term limit or what's the term length of a chair? So under our, the bylaws provide that you know, the chair is one of the officers, excuse me, and it's a three-year term, I believe, that we've established for the board chair? Uh, Four-year. Four-year term, okay. And you, know, you, you can serve up to four years. Um, we, you know, we can't make you serve, you know, so after a period of time, it, you know, it's not what you're interested in. You, you know, can, you know, of course, step down and you know, that sort of thing, but a four-year term is what's anticipated. Another question. In addition to the chair position, are there other officer positions as, as part of the board? Yeah. So, so yeah, we do have a VP uh, position that will be opening, and then any other officer positions that you know the board deems appropriate to establish. And of course, the the vice chair would have all the responsibilities of the chair if the chair was not available to attend. Any other questions? Um, yeah. Um, um, one other question would be, um, what, if any, um, writing or speaking skills uh, may be required of the chairman? Uh, what would you say? I would say, generally speaking, uh, that that will develop to some extent over time, okay? Um, I think generally the speaking skills are, you know, just the ability to, you know, basically run a meeting. I don't think that there are any formal public speaking opportunities that we have identified yet, but again, that might something that may occur over time. Right. And in terms of writing, I think generally speaking, you can count upon the support staff, Heather, you know, or Alex, you know, where there may be a need for some written communication, typically they would draft it on behalf of, you know, the chair or the vice chair, um, run it by you to make sure that, you know, it's appropriate, says what needs to be said, and then uh, the person would sign it. So, so generally speaking, you know, not much specifically, <clears throat> you know, certainly as we're starting out here. Any other questions? Okay, well, I will first ask if there are any nominations. Uh, do any of you wish to nominate any of your colleagues to serve as chair? Neha. I'll nominate Lucia. Okay, so we have a nomination of uh, Lucia. Is there a second to that nomination? I'll second it. Okay, okay, and generally speaking, the process is if someone takes an action, we ask for someone to second it, meaning that you're basically not necessarily saying that you uh, agree with the action, you're just agreeing that it can go forward. So if we have a motion or with nominations, we have a nomination in a second, and so that's what puts something out there. So we have uh, Lucia, uh, any other nominations? Yes, sir, Richard. Yourself, no. Okay, so oh, let's see if we have any other nominations. Okay, do we have any volunteers? So Richard is volunteering. Okay. Any others? Okay. Oh. Yes, sir. I'm a volunteer. Okay. So, any others? So we have three folks uh, who you we will 
take a vote on to be the chair, okay? And under the rules of a meeting like this, under the Brown Act, which Alex will talk about a little bit more, typically any action taken by the board requires a majority of the board, okay? So this may be a little bit problematic here since we have three <laughs> candidates here, okay? And there's the possibility that, but uh, we'll just sort of see how that goes first. So the other thing is that all votes, you know, of a committee like this are taken in public, okay? There's no secret voting, um, you know, basically it all has to be open to the public. So, we'll go ahead. Uh, Sorry, can I propose something quickly? That yeah. because we are new and we don't know each other, that we make the first appointment six months subject to a revote at six months or seven months, and then we can decide because it's it's a quite a long appointment. So okay. So here's one of those moments. This is why you <laughs> asked the question about Robert's rules of order. Okay. So what I'm going to go ahead and do here, we do have a nomination, you know, but we are going to table the nomination momentarily. And there's now been a motion, okay, to appoint the initial chair for a period of six months, okay? Is there a second to that motion? I Richard heard the second. Okay, so we have a motion and a second. So the motion is, is that the chair elected this evening will serve for six months, and then at the end of that six-month period, you'll elect a new chair, okay? So all those in favor of the motion, say aye. 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 Any opposed? Any abstentions? Okay, so the motion carries. So we'll now return to the nominations and the volunteers to serve as chair. And so I will, in light of this, are there any of the three candidates who would like uh, to, uh, are all three candidates still interested in running for the office of chair? Um, yes. Okay, so very well. So let's go through here and see what we can do in terms of voting. So a, uh, <coughs> all those in favor of Lucia serving as the chair, you can only vote uh, once, okay, for one person. So all those in favor of Lucia, signify by raising your hand. Okay, so we have one, two, three, four, five, six votes for Lucia, okay? And so, because there are six votes for Lucia, that's a majority of the board. So, congratulations, Lucia. You will serve as the first interim chair of the board. Okay? Congratulations. Lucia. Okay? So, we're going to make it easy for you here this evening. Okay? There's only a few things on the agenda. Okay? And we'll, we'll just sort of move things along. But typically, it would be yours. Okay? Our next agenda item is. So. So our next thing we're going to talk about a little bit are board uh, and board's responsibilities and board members' responsibilities. Um, and there are just a couple of subjects to talk about here. I know a lot of you, you know, are either serving on boards or have served on boards. I got to that other thing down. And there's just, uh, so which one of you is going to drive or who's going to drive here? I can drive. Okay. I just uh, realize I have to close down another ah, okay. Very way good. that it shows. Okay, so we have uh, this razzle-dazzle uh, presentation here that uh, Alex put together that I take you through. So I, I guess if you click on the agenda up there, that'll get us started. So you can click on the. Thank you. Yeah. Got there it. You go. Here we go. Okay. So and then click on it. So we're going to talk about the governing board. We're going to talk about responsibilities of the board and a little bit about the responsibilities of board members. So. so 
the governing board, okay, which is you folks, okay, and you are the governing board for the healthcare for the homeless center, okay, which is one of the operations here within Alameda Health System. And as you can see, you know, from the diagram there, you know, your role as the governing board is in basically in conjunction or collaboration with the management of the organization. And as the governing, you know, governing board, you guys provide accountability, provide direction for the organization, where it's Heather's job and her staff to actually manage the organization day to day, okay? And this oftentimes is an issue which comes up um, as potentially a problem or an issue for governing boards, uh, because sometimes there's a tendency to want to get really involved in what's going on in the organization, and that's not really the proper role for the board, you know, and there's a number of different, you know, uh, sayings that people have, you know, for describing the relationship between the governing board um, and management. You know, one of them is, you know, you know, nose in, hands off, meaning that you want to understand what's going on with the organization, but it's not your job to make day-to-day -day decisions, decisions about what's going on in the organization. You're here to help us understand where issues related to the homeless community are and help make sure that the staff, you know, has properly focused on those issues. You have some specific roles in terms of accountability, you know, you know, passing a budget, you know, approving the, uh, the hire of an executive director, things along those lines. Heather's job, on the other hand, is making day-to-day -day decisions about the organization, okay? What programs, you know, to pursue consistent with the direction you've given, that sort of thing. And then there's an area right there in the middle, which is labeled the strategic management, okay? And this is where you were really working with Heather to decide, okay, where do we want to go as an organization? And this is where we really look to you folks, you know, for your expertise in terms of understanding what the needs of this community might be, you know, what are some of the emerging issues in terms of dealing with, you know, uh, issues confronting the homeless community, because that's where we really collaborate with the staff in terms of understanding, okay, we should be doing this or thinking about doing this. And it may be a service or some day-to-day -day thing that you're talking about, but because you're talking about that in collaboration with the management about something in the future, that's what we refer to as strategic management as opposed to sort of getting involved in day-to-day -day operations. Okay? So any questions about that in terms of what it means to be the governing board? Understand that you all are accountable <coughs> to the healthcare for the homeless center, okay? And so any of the responsibilities of the center is supposed to be undertaking, you all are now responsible for it. Understand that uh, you are covered by insurance, okay, so there is an insurance policy which covers you and your actions, you know, as members of the board, you know, so you would not be held legally responsible. But the idea here is that we really are looking for you to provide the right sort of oversight and guidance to staff to make sure that we're serving the, uh, the health care or the homeless uh, population correctly, okay? Okay, our next point about the governing board. So. <clears throat> As I said, you know, we talked about providing oversight, uh, setting policy and direction, okay? This is another place that may come up, you know, for you. There are policies um, that we currently have in place, you know, that sort of define, you know, how we provide services, whom we provide services to. I mean, from time to time, you know, you may ask, you know, for reports on those, and we're looking for your input, you know, is, is that serving our need? You know, are, are there things that other things, other things that we should be considering as an organization, you know, to serve the community that this uh, center is here for? So that's, you know, sort of the, the type of role that you would have is, you know, you may decide, okay, we need to go off in this direction. Now, 
because you want to do it, okay, the, the question is can we do that, you know, how might we do it, and that's the sort of discussion that you end up having with, you know, Heather in terms of what the capabilities of the organization are. Uh, part of what you're here to do is to make sure that the center is doing what it's supposed to do. Is it serving, you know, the homeless community? Is it serving the homeless community effective? effectively. And there will be opportunities, you know, there will be certain things reported to you about the operation of the healthcare center that we think will help you answer that question and understand how that obligation is being met. But it's also incumbent upon you as board members to identify additional information that might help you to come to those determinations, okay? So again, we uh, will offer things for you, but we're also looking for your input to make sure that you're getting information that's going to be helpful useful to you. Yes, sir. Um, based on what you were just saying, um, does that mean or is it possible for us um, within our charter uh, to be able, um, for instance, uh, to find such information sometimes might require uh, what's properly known as a survey. Uh, can we not design surveys uh, that we can present maybe to the Board of Trustees that may be acceptable to them that can then be initialized in order for us to find out the information we need to know. Okay, so, yeah, uh, very good question. So first off, understand that you all have authority. You are a separate, independent governing board, okay? And so if you make a decision that's within your authority, it doesn't have to go to the Board of Trustees for approval, okay? okay. So let's say, for example, um, you know, Heather was providing a report on some aspect of the operations, and you all felt, you know, as a board, you know, geez, it would be very useful to have additional information about this, that, or the other, okay? I think it's entirely, you know, appropriate for the board, you know, any member of the board to, you know, to point that out, you know, hey, it would be great if we could have information about X, okay? And, you know, Heather in her role would, you know, tell you, okay, we have X or we don't have X. And then you might have a discussion about whether you need X and what, you know, how useful X may be to you. And then you might decide as a board, okay, well, we think it would be useful to develop that information, okay? And then, you know, basically, you know, might vote to give that direction, and then, you know, it would be up to Heather to carry that out if she's able to. But, you know, hopefully you're only going to ask her to do something that she's told you that she's able to do as far as it goes, okay? So, again, you know, part of our job as the staff supporting this board is to give you the information that we think is going to be helpful and useful to you in terms of understanding and discharging your responsibilities. But that should not preclude you from asking for additional information <coughs> if you think that that's going to be helpful as well, too. Okay. Um, but, oh, go ahead. Oh, one other quick question. Uh, I, I, I met you um, the first time uh, everybody came together, and you, you're the attorney that is going to be sitting with us. Yes. Um, I, I'm sorry, you probably made it, um, an earlier public um, um, introduction, but I, I don't know your name. Oh, I'm sorry. So I'm Mike Moy. Alex works for me. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, well, no, Alex and I work together. <laughs> <laughs> it's a more politically correct way. We're, we're colleagues. No, no, seriously. I, uh, you know, Alex and I have worked together to put together all of this stuff here. Okay. okay. So, uh, so I'm the general counsel. He's the associate general counsel for the organization, but he's going to serve as counsel to this. You know, okay. So you. So um, that's what I was going to. Uh, that's what I was going to get to was uh, whether or not you were going to be present at 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 our at, at our meetings ongoing, or are you are you simply here to uh, orientate us to to some basic questions? Uh, a little bit of both. So yeah, clearly here to uh, work on you know, this piece of the orientation. Um, 
it will be my goal to attend as many of your meetings as possible, but I may not necessarily be at all of them, but Alex will always be at them. Okay. Okay? Okay. Um, and then, you know, in terms of, you know, going back to that question about, you know, what you might ask for as a board, I think it's important to, you know, that you always want to be thinking about the big picture, okay? And, you know, by the big picture, you know, we're talking about what is important to the community, okay? How do we go about serving, you know, what programs does the community need? As opposed to, you know, sometimes, you know, there are, you know, more individual or, um, you know, smaller, you know, details, okay, which you don't necessarily ignore as board members, but really what you're here to do is to help us create the right vision for making sure that we're providing the services that are needed, okay? And so if you're always thinking about the standpoint of, you know, how much is this impacting, it's you know, having a broad impact, then you know that you're thinking about at the right level in terms of, you know, where the governing board responsibility is. So the next one. So, the responsibilities of the board, you know, just a couple of items that I, you know, have noted here. You as the board are here um, in sort of a dual role. You're here to support management in their effective discharge of their responsibilities, but you're also here to provide oversight, you know, to, to management, to give them clear guidance, okay? And so, you know, it's important that there be a mutual understanding of what staff, okay, and management is doing with respect to these programs, but if there's something that you think is needed, something more is needed, then you should be clear with them, okay? So that that way there's never any misunderstandings between what your expectations are and what staff thinks it's doing for you. Yes, sir. I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, based on what you just said right now, one of my, one of my ideas is um, we always talk about, I mentioned surveys earlier, and when people think of surveys um, in this setting, they think about surveys for um, patients, people who come through the hospital or, or use hospital services. But you know what? I've never heard of anybody actually asking to give a survey to doctors. I think it would be a good idea to give surveys to doctors about how they feel about their patients, and 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 doing it doing it in a way in which um, no doctors are identified is just a general survey. Um, but if we were able, if we were to say, uh, let's just say for the, uh, hypothetically, we were to adopt that uh, as a project, um, what if any uh, rules governing their privacy rules regarding doctors and actual medical staff, which would make that almost impossible to do or not likely that it can be done. Okay, so I'm going to infringe a little bit on Alex's talk here, okay? So one of the things Alex is going to talk about with the Brown Act, okay, is the meeting agenda, okay? Okay. And the meeting agenda is important because we only can, we really can only discuss things which are on the agenda. Okay? Oh, I'm sorry. That's, that's okay. I'm sorry. I forgot this, about that. This, this is a learning process, okay? So, uh, so what something like comes up, you know, which is not to say that, you know, we all have ideas that may not be on the agenda. So what we'll do here is Heather's taken note of the question that you asked, okay, and we'll work, you know, with uh, Lucia to find an appropriate time to put something like that on the agenda for discussion, okay? Okay. And action is um, I apologize. Uh, no, I, I, I should have known better because I'm, I'm trying to now, no, I'll behave. <laughs> no apologies are necessary, okay? Sir. I put up there uh, as the uh, third bullet point, acting in the best interest of the organization, okay? And by that, I mean oftentimes, well, I shouldn't say oftentimes, but sometimes, you know, uh, there are situations, you know, where there may be personal interests, okay, as well as organizational interests. And so, for example, okay, 
I know so-and-so who's a patient and they're having this problem or issue, okay? And it's not inappropriate for a board member to have a concern about that or even raise that as a concern or an issue, okay? But understand that as a member of the board, you are required to act in the interest of the organization. And so, for example, if there was some issue that, you know, affected only, you know, one person or one patient or affected you differently than others, you really have an obligation to set aside, you know, that and understand what the impact of the overall organization is. And we should not be making rules to, you know, that deal with one person or making a decision that deals with one person if, in fact, that's not in the best interest of the entire organization, okay? It doesn't come up all that often, but there are times, you know, when it is. And like I say, it's important you understand that that's what the obligation is. The last point there is speak with one voice. What does that mean? Anybody have a sense of what we're saying there? Kind of all consensus. Sorry. Yeah, there's no, consensus. Well, go, ahead, go ahead, Derek. Why don't you? you just no, I, no I just said consensus. <laughs> Everybody pretty much okay. come on the same page about Okay. So we stand behind a decision made. Okay. Anything else you want to add to that? Um, no. Okay. And I think that's precisely it. Okay. First off is that you always will be looking to come to consensus. Um, and once you've come to consensus, that's the decision of the board. I think it's also very important that there may be times when there may be disagreements. Okay. And hopefully, you know, most of what you do will be subject to, you know, eight zero nine zero votes. But occasionally, it might be a, a five four or a five three vote. And one of your obligations as board members is, if there's a five three vote and you're one of the threes, once that vote is taken, you're now one of the five. Okay, you've got to join. The board has to speak with one voice. And even though you may have had a different viewpoint, you know, uh, or a different perspective on an issue, once the board has made a decision, you have an obligation to support that decision. You know, you don't necessarily have to like that decision, but, you know, you have to avoid a situation where you speak out against it, you know, uh, because it's important that this board is making decisions, again, if they're acting in the interest of the organization, no one of you has any better, you know, perspective or authority on the interest of the organization. You have that collectively as the board, okay? Any questions about any of those things? So the last thing I want to talk about, yes, sir. Well, um, about the responsibility of the board, mm -hmm. um, is there, um, I, I hope this is not off subject, but off uh, agenda, but um, in, in part of doing our work, um, do we have the power to request uh, an audience with uh, the, the um, board of trustees at any given time? I think, uh, so again, that sort of goes to a question of, or this first point here, okay, so it's a nice little segue. Okay, and so as a board member, okay, you have limited authorities, okay? You are a member of the governing board, and collectively you all make decisions, but the board takes action, okay? And so individual board members don't have the authority to act on behalf of the board. And so, for example, if you thought it was appropriate <coughs> you know, that there should be a meeting with the, uh, the Board of Trustees, it would not be within your authority just to go off and do that. You know, right. you would need to bring that to the Board, you know, and the Board would then discuss it and decide whether or not it wants to do that by vote, okay? Right. And we would can contact her actually to add it to our agenda. Yeah, you could, you know, speak to Heather about adding to the agenda. You could speak to Lucia about adding oh, it to well, the agenda. Oh, yeah, Lucia. You know, so either way there. But that's an important thing is understand that as Board members, the Board takes action, not individual board averages. Uh, one of the responsibilities that you have is to be informed, prepared, and involved, okay? 
So for every meeting, there will be a published agenda, okay? And typically the agenda packet or meeting packet will include documents, okay, that are relevant to whatever topics are on the agenda. So if there's a report, there's a report, and so here's the packet for this meeting, okay? And so, you know, in this packet is a copy of the agenda, but then, you know, here's copies of the presentation that I'm giving now, okay? And these typically will be posted, you know, for a Tuesday meeting, they'll be posted on Friday, okay? And so that way you will have the opportunity to, you know, review it over the weekend, you know, or a Monday before the meeting actually occurs. Just want to say. So these, we will post these online, okay? And uh, we are making arrangements, you know, which will facilitate everyone having the opportunity to connect with us so you can, you know, download these online. You know, we actually have a what's called a board portal, okay, which is an online portal, meaning it's you'll you'll get the address to it. You just click on it, but it will take you there, and then all the meeting materials will be there. We'll also post things there, like the bylaws, the co-applicant agreement, things that you may need to refer to, you know, uh, back and forth over the course of time. But it's important that you do spend some time familiarizing yourself with the information there, because it really is designed to help you understand what's going on and to help you make some of the decisions. You're gonna uh, you kind of already answered one of my questions okay. about the fact that some of this will be posted okay. uh, and where it would be posted. Uh, that would also include um, previous uh, the minutes of the previous meetings? Yes. So um, there are no previous meetings. Min oh, well, well not yet. I mean, minutes yet. Okay. Not, but, not yet but, but on the portal, you will find you know all of the historical documents as well, too. So for each meeting of this board, there will be a copy of the agenda and all the materials from the uh, agenda packet. Once the minutes for the meeting are approved, then those would be posted as well, too. So you could always go back and look at the minutes of the meeting and see what happened. Um, and the point I make there is acting as a fiduciary, okay? And a fiduciary just means that, you know, you are acting in the best interest of the organization. Again, you know, as I spoke in terms of the responsibility, <coughs> excuse me, of the overall board. And again, you know, this sometimes, you know, can be a little bit of a blurry line, you know, particularly if uh, you have, you know, personal involvement, you know, with someone who's affected by the decisions and things like that. You have to understand that your obligation, again, is on behalf of the board. And then finally, you know, as I had mentioned earlier, in terms of, you know, the board responsibilities, it, you're required to respect the voice of the board. Um, and again, I mean, sometimes, you know, these things don't come up often, but, you know, there may be topics, you know, that might, you know, uh, be of strong interest to some of you, and it's going to be important just to understand this rule as you're going forward. So, that were, those were the things that I thought that made sense to cover. Over the course of this first year in particular, what we're going to be looking to do is to develop a set of presentations that help to educate you about the center, healthcare for the homeless center, you know, about this organization, what we're doing, okay? Um, and again, we are doing this from the standpoint of trying to identify things that we think will be helpful and useful to you, uh, but it's also important for you to let us know if there are other subjects um, that uh, would be helpful to you. I promise you, any other presentation you'll get will be far more engaging than what I just did here, okay? But I do appreciate uh, you asking, are there any other questions or questions for me? Okay, um, yes ma'am. Um, just in terms of how the board members interact with the council, um, in terms of like identifying what's in the best interest of the organization, like how much influence um, does like leadership and staff 
like that attend the board have and kind of deciding that? So, so in a little bit, you know, uh, Heather's going to talk about the bylaws, which sort of talk about, you know, the, the charter for the board and the things you're supposed to be focusing on and, and what authority that you have. And then the co-applicant agreement, which also talks about the relationship between you and the board of trustees. I think that what I would, you know, recommend and advise, you know, to you all is speak up and speak freely, okay? If there's something that is on your mind, something you think is important, I think it's better just to go ahead and raise the issue, talk about it, you know, if it's something that exceeds your scope or authority, you know, council will be there to advise, well, that's grade. not something. ACT um, building, 6-4, code grade, ACT building, 6-4, code grade. That goes beyond the scope of the board, okay. But I think, you know, the whole point of this board is to ensure that we get as much feedback we can on these programs. And so I would not, you know, be concerned about trying to figure that out ahead of time, mm -hmm. ask the question, mm -hmm. and because it sometimes may prompt, you know, very good discussion as well, too. Any other questions? No? Okay. So at this point, I'll turn over to Alex. Alex, we'll talk to you about the Brown Act uh, since we are a public agency. So. All right. So should I control I, it? I, I pressed click, but okay. it's now it's, It may it's take a few seconds. Press it tensor. So let's yeah, see. Uh, ready to go. This one's hmm. You may want to uh, reverse the pressure. I want to be as cool as Mike. That was a pretty cool presentation, so now I'll do the same. There we ah, go. Perfect. We got it. All right. So, You'll go ahead and drive. I'll, I'll drive. All right. You just tell me. You so click. Before we start, here's what I'll say. Uh, feel free to ask questions during the presentation or after. Uh, what I provided to you guys on the board package is, you know, the letter of the law as far as what the Brown Act is and how it governs, you know, uh, meetings of legislative bodies and uh, of local governments. The, what I'm going to present to you orally, it's more of a digestible, my take on the Brown Act, which is probably better than how the legislature usually presents it. They tend to be overly verbose. And just, you know, by way of example, we'll start with, you know, what is the Brown Act? Well, you know, there's a provision that tells you, well, this is what it is. It was enacted in 1964, uh, heavily modified or amended in 1964. But essentially, the Brown Act is a body of rule, rules that's designed to ensure open government and fairness, all right? So then we'll skip to the next one, Heather. So the statement of purpose. So the Brown Act gives, you know, two paragraphs, and here and there, this is what they think. What they're essentially saying is, you know, public business must be conducted in public with ample opportunity for the public to participate, right? So I've just summarized to you guys what is the Brown Act. Pretty straightforward, right? Open meetings, if it belongs to the public, must be open, give the public, you know, an opportunity to uh, interact, right? So now this begs us a question. So who is covered or what bodies are covered under the Brown Act? Well, the definition is, you know, any legislative body of every local agency, you know, must conduct open and public meetings. So at this point, you're probably wondering, all right, well, what is a legislative body? So you can go ahead and go to the next one. And then what is local agency? So the definition is there, right? Legislative body can be a governing body. Local agency could be, you know, for the purposes of this presentation, political subdivision, any board, uh, or agency thereof, or any other local agency. So the co-applicant board, the CAP, 
is the governing board of the Healthcare for the Homeless Center, which is, you know, part of Alameda Health System, which is a public agency. So in light of that, we're automatically covered by the Brown Act, right? So then at this point, uh, you're wondering, okay, so now we know what is the Brown Act. We know the statement of purpose, the bodies that are covered by the Brown Act. So now the question is, okay, so when does it apply? And then the next slide talks about meeting and action taken, right? So this essentially means that, you know, the Brown Act applies to meetings of local public agency bodies. So in this case, the co-applicant board. So now let's go ahead and dissect what meeting is. So for the purposes of the Brown Act, the meeting, you know, tells you a congregation of a majority of members of the legislative body. So as we learned earlier, majority, that will be quorum, right? So in this case, we have nine members, which means that five is the majority. So congregation, you know, you're wondering, okay, so what does that really mean, right? Do you mind going back yeah, to Yeah, I'm sorry, I thought <laughs> I might have gone ahead. So meeting, I mean, can be, this can take place via text, believe it or not, via emails. I mean, it's any congregation of the majority of the governing board where you guys are talking about government business, governing government business, which in this case will be co-applicant board business, which is anything that this goes within the jurisdiction. This is a for cold gray, sixth floor, acute care tower. This is an all-clear message for cold gray, sixth floor, acute care tower. Okay. So... I'll give you guys some examples of what would be an unlawful meeting that wouldn't, you know, comport with the provision set for under the Brown Act. So one will be, you know, pre-meeting. So let's say the majority of the board meets before a meeting, right? The public was never notified of this particular meeting or gathering. So at that point, that will be a public. Same thing can happen after the board, you know, once we adjourn the meeting, then we all meet once again, and that could be problematic. Because then again, the purpose of the Brown Act is to give you know, the public an opportunity to participate, to be informed, to be aware of, you know, the, the items that are being discussed by the board. Uh, other examples of unlawful meetings will be what is called serial meetings, and this is where it gets kind of tricky, right? So one is a chain meeting. So for example, uh, board member A talks to board member B, who then talks to board member C, right? And then eventually makes it to five individuals, right? At that point, that's majority. The other will be, the other one is called hub and spoke, which is essentially, you know, A talks to B, who B then talks to C, C goes into D, and so on until we reach a majority. So those under the Brown Act will be unlawful meetings, right? Now I'm going to give you examples of, you know, meetings that are not unlawful. So that would be, you know, individual contact. Let's say Lucia speaks to uh, Ali, right? As long as you guys are not discussing any type of cab business, it should be okay. Social gatherings. Let's say you guys go to an event and it turns out that majority of the boys are fine as long as you know you guys are not discussing anything that has to do with the co-applicant board. So if we all like go to the Warriors game Thursday night, <laughs> that would be, okay? be okay as long as we're not talking about any business you know that has to do with the co-applicant board. Okay. All right. And who can be nice? Can we put that in practice? Yeah. Right? <laughs> so, so just yeah, so, so to be clear, it's okay to invite other board members and us to the Warriors game. You want to be clear on that. So then, so now we'll segment into you know action taken is you know action taken can be just collective decision, you know to take action in the next you know in the near future at a later time, you know so anything that essentially where you're 
pondering or discussing a future action, whether it's negative or positive. Same goes whether, you know, let's say you guys meet outside of these pre-meetings and you take action on something where you guys agree that you guys are going to vote yes on item two, then that will be, you know, a meeting that's subject to the, to the provision set forth under the Brown Act. So now that we have that, uh, we can go ahead into the next section, which is, uh, go ahead, you can click on that. So meetings, right? So at this point, you're wondering, okay, so what type of meetings does this apply? Mia, do you have a question? Yes, I did have Please. a question about the actions taken um, and the, the quorum. So mm -hmm. for a nine-member board, there's five to achieve quorum. And then in any meetings where there's five people, for a decision to be taken, do we need majority of the five or majority of the nines? Uh, so for the regular board, it's majority of the board. So in this case, it will be five. So yeah. all of them. Yes. Okay. okay. So now we're on the segment which covers meetings. So there are three types of different meetings that are governed by the Brown Act. So you have regular meetings. For the purposes of this you know, presentation, we're only going to focus on that. But then you also have a special meetings. The bylaws, which you know, we'll talk about uh, at a later point, uh, covers you know, when and when is it appropriate to conduct a special meeting. The other one will be uh, an emergency meeting, right? And again, we're not going to go over those uh, in the event that at some point there is a need for us to conduct a special meeting or an emergency meeting, then you know, I'll be providing guidance as far as how we go about doing that. But regular meetings have three different components. So I like to say ingredients. So you have that they must be open and public, right? Remember, the main purpose of the Brown Act is to ensure that the public has access to public business, right? So then the other element will be notice requirements. So the Brown Act sets a specific notice requirements. And we'll go into detail as far as what those are. Then the next piece will be the agenda requirements, which is something that Mike briefly touched upon earlier. And you know, we'll go more into detail. But so why don't we start with the first one, which is open and public. All right. So let's see. There's a click. Yeah. yeah. There we go. So what else, you know, so the Brown Act, you know, requires the co applicant board to have meetings that are open and public. So what does that mean? You can go ahead and click on the next one. So my interpretation of that is, you know, essentially means access to the meeting, meaning you can come to the meeting with, on their, you know, without us imposing any particular type of conditions. You can have access to all agendas, documents, anything that's provided, you know, in open session at a regular meeting, it's accessible to the public, right? The other one, the public has the right to, you know, audio or video record some of these meetings. There is an exception, however, to every rule. And one of those exceptions is to the point that it becomes disruptive and the co-applicant board isn't able to conduct business how they would normally do, then you, you may ask, you know, or place reasonable restrictions to the public, right? So then, since we're here, oh, do you mind going back on? Uh, on this access to meetings, so again, remember, regular meetings, open items, they're available to the public. There's gonna be instances where certain things are not gonna be disclosed to the, to the public, right? This may be under closed session, for example. Uh, one of the things that I want to stress is, is the importance of privacy rules. In the healthcare settings, you know, we have several different bodies of law that govern, you know, privacy, right? Uh, we have HIPAA, the Health Insurance Portability Accountability Act. We have CMIA, we also, which is the California version of HIPAA, more stringent, if you ask me. And then you also have LPS, which governs how you go about disclosing. Uh, you know, information about patients that have been placed in psychiatric facilities or behavioral centers. 
So one of the things that I want to remind our, our you know, co-applicant boards is to, to avoid using PHI, personal uh, health information, or identifiable health information, right? So from time to time, especially when we're doing quality assessment, you know, you may come across a name of the patient. That document is not going to be disclosed to the public. However, you are hearing during this closed session the names of those individuals. So I will ask, you know, for the co-applicant board to once again not to, uh, you know, use personal or PHI, protected identifiable health information. Yes. Um, question about the audio video record on the meetings and the spec any recording of the meetings made by the legislative body. Um, one of the questions I, I, wanted, um, I was thinking about before I came here was um, given the fact that a, a lot of what we will do would be um, available to the public. Um, what, if any, powers that we have as a board and as individuals on the board to guard our own identity or our own information um, in case of some accidental dissemination of something maybe uh, that the public uh, does not necessarily need to know about us as individuals on the board and what say, if any, we have over how our image is used? Well, so by the mere fact that you joined the board now, you know, your name is part of, a, you know, a public record, right? Which means that the, the, the public has access to who you are, okay. the, the information that you provide. One of the things that I'll, you know, I'll recommend for uh, public and board members, it's not to, you know, identify yourself as a patient or as a community member, right? Irrespective, your identification here will be as a board member of the co-applicant board, right? And then, um, you know, as far as personal information, we will not be disclosing that. Again, however, I do want to remind you that whatever you say during open session will be accessible to the public. Again, oh, yeah. for the issue being that, you know, this is recorded and uh, the public does have access to all of our open, you know, uh, regular meeting discussions. Yes. Actually, that was close to what I had to ask. You mentioned there's certain times where there may be certain pa patient mention that's uh, more uh, uh, confidential. Do we, like, if there's a, pers a public person of public recording, do we ask them to stop recording at that point? Or so technically, you know, uh, when we go into you know quality reviews or any type of discussion that entails us identifying uh, you know a patient or anything that's protected by privacy laws, uh, that will most that will be conducted during closed session, right? Closed session is confidential; it's not accessible to the public. Well, and we'll okay. go into more details as far as yeah. you know what closed session entails and all that. But you know, to the extent that now we have a you know a, a meeting, an open meeting that's accessible to the public, then again, you know, I will ask our co-applicant board members to refrain from referring to that individual as a, as, as a, you know, by their name. And another example that I can give you is somebody, you know, now some the community knows who you are, you're a representative or a board member of the co-applicant board member, uh, uh, co board. They approach you and they say, well, you know, I was recently visited, I visited one of your homeless clinics mm -hmm. and uh, I was either happy or not happy. And, you know, now, you know, some board members may feel compelled to share that, whether it's, you know, because it was great or if it was, you know, poor care, whatever it's being alleged, right? At that point, Again, you know, it, to the extent that you want to share that, I will ask that you refrain from using. John Doe told me that last time mm -hmm. he was at this particular mm -hmm. clinic, this is what happened, right? You may go ahead and do it as anonymously. You said someone said this and that, right? But beyond that point, you know, we, we shouldn't be disclosing any type of, you know, protected health information.
And, and, and I think one thing I, I will add to that just sort of goes to Mark's question. There are times when we will have to provide uh, personal information, you know, about you, and typically it's in the context of you know, the government agencies. You know, there are, you know, certain, you know, license or you know, application things that might require us to disclose you know, personal information about members of the governing board. Okay. Uh, typically, we would let you know that that's being done. Um, you know, so that it doesn't hit you on the blind side, uh, and you know, it's a regular thing that we do with our own board of trustees. I haven't really figured out where that might occur <coughs> with this board, but it is a possibility you know, that there may be some programs, and I think some of the stuff that we might do with versa. But again, that's a very limited circumstances, and we would tell you about it before that's actually happening. So, okay. So the next section that we'll cover will be again. We're still talking about what is open and public, right? So one of the other elements about you know a meeting being open and public is that you know the public have, has to have you know an opportunity to discuss, to talk, to ask questions. And uh, one thing that I have to say here is that you know for purposes of open and public meetings, uh, you know a member of the public has the right to not only talk about items that are on the agenda, but also that are within the scope of the jurisdiction of the co-applicant board. I know earlier. Uh, Mike said that we can't talk about any item that's not on the agenda, and that is correct. However, there is an exception, and this is the exception is you know it's a brief response to a question. So long as you know the question that's being asked and the answer that you have falls within the scope of jurisdiction of the co-applicant board, we'll cover that briefly. But you know again, right of public dis discussion is what you know the uh, members of the public have. So now we can go into the other ingredient, which is the notice requirements. As Mike mentioned, you know, we'll be meeting monthly, uh, you know, every Tuesday, which means that the agenda has to be posted, you know, within 72 hours before the meeting takes place, right? And we generally do this a little, you know, a bit before than 72 hours. In this case, we're going to be posting ideally on a Friday, right? And that's what we did uh, for this particular meeting. So then the next ingredient that I have is the meeting agenda. So the Brana requires all meetings to have an agenda, right? So the agenda has a specific requirements. And one of them is you must provide a general description of the items or things that will be discussed by the board. At this point, you're probably wondering, you know, what is the general description? Well, it's something that gives the public enough information for them to understand what the co-applicant board will be discussing, right? So it can be vague, can be ambiguous, can be opaque. All right, just give them a summary, enough so that the public once again understands you know, what will be disclosed or the action that the co-applicant board will take. Uh, the other requirement is time and location. So, you know, you must specify when and where the meeting, the co-applicant board meeting will take place. You may be wondering, okay, so can we meet in San Francisco? Technically, under the Brown Act, you can only meet uh, in an area that's within the scope of your jurisdictional geographic limits, in this case, Alameda. Uh, there are, again, to some rules, there are some exceptions, and then there is an exception. No need for us to go into detail as far as, you know, those exceptions. But, you know, there are exceptions. However, for the purposes of our meeting, we will be meeting here. Uh, Typically, although, you know, there may be time to time where uh, a meeting might be scheduled at one of the places, you know, like at one of the clinics, for example. So, uh, but again, that will be up to <coughs> you and Heather to figure out, you know, when that might be helpful. Well, you said at another clinic. It could. They could. Yeah. There's nothing precluded as long as it's in Alameda, yeah. uh, within the county. That's one of the things that can happen. 
So now the next element that I do want to cover is, you know, what I like to call limitations to agenda items. As Mike mentioned earlier, the co-applicant board cannot speak on items that are not part of the agenda, right? You may, you, you can take action, you can engage in any type of discussions, but there is that exception that I told you, which is the response in question exception. What the Brown Rights essentially says is that you may briefly respond to a statement or a question that was made by, you know, a member of the public. Again, it must be brief. You can go, you know, beyond what is necessary for you to answer the questions. Um, there are other exceptions. Do you want to click on the next one? Uh, so th this will be, you know, emergencies or, you know, where there's a need where, you know, when the co-applicant board needs to take immediate action, uh, there's another element that's, you know, held over continuing items. But each of these exceptions have a very specific requirements. You know, emergency, for example, requires that there's a privilege or stoppage or something that will drastically affect public health or public services, right? Uh, need for immediate action, you know, requires the board to, the majority of the board to ratify that there's a need for a particular purpose that's covered under our guidance, right? Then the next one is, you know, holdover item, right? Well, you can do that as long as the discussion that the co-applicant board is having, uh, it's no greater than five days after the original meeting where that item was actually discussed, right? So there's, again, to everyone, you know, there's an exception, but there's certain requirements that we need to fulfill in order for us to go there. So uh, now we can, now that we, you know, we've set that aside, we can talk about, you know, during regular meetings, you may have a closed session, right? So the Brown Act allows closed session to be conducted so long as it is statutorily authorized. So you can click on the next one. Um, so again, you know, express authorization. And then we can click on, you know, just to give an example, some of the areas or types of closed sessions that are statutorily authorized under the Brown Act. So you have, you know, where there is a personal exception, where there is a pending litigation against, you know, one of our uh, clinics, uh, you know, where there are security issues, labor negotiations, medical quality insurance. Uh, you know, I, I'm not going to go into detail on this because I don't, I don't foresee us having a closed session where this, you know, we'll, we'll rely on this. Maybe medical quality assurance, you know, we'll get to that point and we'll be, you know, like I said, the Office of the General Counsel will provide additional resources for you to better understand, you know, uh, you know, what closed session entails and all that. But for the purposes of, you know, our presentation now, I do want to cover a few things. So on the agenda, right, we keep going back to the agenda requirements. Again, it's something that's re required for every meeting. And if we were to have a closed session, then the agenda has to identify, you know, the closed session that you will have and provide a summary of what it is. Well, let's say, for example, this is pending litigation. Then you will have to identify a little bit of information as far as, you know, what that entails. <coughs> And then the other piece is, you know, there's, you have to announce it. So during the meeting, you have to announce that, you know, now the co-applicant board will go into closed session. After the closed session takes place, you also have to do what I like to call it a post report, which is to inform the public of what happened in closed session without disclosing information that's confidential, right? So you will essentially, oh, you know, during closed session, the co-applicant board discussed pending litigation regarding this particular matter, right? Uh, now, the other thing that we have, so we can go into the next piece. Uh, so now that we have that, now we, you know, we, we have a somewhat of an idea of what the Brown Act, how we go about conducting, you know, our meetings. Uh, one of the questions that immediately arises is, so what happens if, if we violate the Brown Act? Well, two things. One, could be perceived as a misdemeanor, right? The other one, and who can bring, you know, also it can be the district attorney or any individual from the public that's affected by the violation of the Brown Act. It's broadly, 
defined so far on the any grounds. It's that we failed to notify the public or, you know, we took action or an item that wasn't the agenda. Well, you know, under some circumstances that may be perceived as a misdemeanor. And the other thing that can happen is that, uh, well, will ha happen by default is that the action that was taken will be null and void. So let's say if you guys approve this budget without, you know, satisfying the Brown Act requirements, well, that action is going to be uh, void as a matter of law. So with that, any questions? So just to be clear, no one from AHS has ever gone to jail for a budget. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. And that's part of, you know, what Alex's yeah. job is. He's here to help you with it. So, you know, we think it was, it's useful for you to have an understanding of why we may require certain things at certain times. But, you know, I, and we uh, <coughs> understand we, we're here to help you and guide through this as far as it goes. So. I have a question. Yes. Um, you spoke in, 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 in some general terms about um, rules regarding how we conduct ourselves as a board. Uh, one thing I want to know about is, is um, 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 voting in terms of as a body. Um, what, uh, since um, I count basically um, eight people currently on the board, that's, if you were to split down the middle, it would be four to four. Mm -hmm. My question is, uh, what would be considered um, a quorum in this fashion, in this uh, number set? Oh, there are nine members. Yeah. Oh, so we do have, yeah, we do have nine oh, okay. members. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. So five, five would be. Would be. Okay, five would be, okay. Any other questions? <coughs> Otherwise, okay. okay, great. And, you know, if down the line you do have a question about the product, feel free to reach out. Uh, you know, I can provide additional resources, you know, as needed, so don't hesitate to reach out. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, so the next piece we'll, we'll talk about is, you know, uh, the bylaws and the co-applicant agreement. And, you know, what, what we did for this particular agenda is that we provided copies to you guys because we want you guys to be familiarized with, you know, the bylaws and the co-applicant agreement. But what I can tell you about, you know, what is the co-applicant agreement? And, you know, Mike actually uh, touched upon this. And the co-applicant agreement essentially... Before you get started on this, I'm going to have to step out again. Thank all of you. Uh, I'll look forward to seeing you at other meetings as well, uh, too. And um, this is actually kind of exciting for us. Nice to meet you. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Yeah. So, so the co agreement essentially delegates the authorities and functions that the co-applicant board would have. The co-applicant agreement is an agreement between Alameda Health System Board of Trustees and, you know, our co-applicant board, right? Uh, so again, you know, delineates the authorities and your responsibilities. The co-applicant agreement mirrors what our bylaws, and again, our bylaws provide, you know, what type of authority our co-applicant board has, and also covers a section which dictates that another entity will not have little power over things that fall within the jurisdiction of the co-applicant agreement. Uh, you know, some of the key points that I do want to talk about the, the co-applicant agreement are, and you guys have a copy of that, you know, section two covers, you know, the board composition and responsibilities. And Mike, you know, covered that thoroughly during the presentation. But, you know, I highly recommend for you to familiarize again with the co-applicant agreement and both files. Then the other section that, you know, that also covers is the the relationship between the Board of Trustees and the Co-Applicant Agreement. So when HERSA, you know, created Section 330H, 
they had envisioned a different type of partnership, which would have been a direct partnership, right? So in this case, it would have been the Board of Trustees and HRSA interacting. But we have something unique, and I think it's, it's very special. And what we have here is that we have two entities that are working together, right, to better serve homeless populations. And I think if you ask me, my personal opinion on that is that this is probably more effective than what HRSA initially envisioned. So the co-applicant agreement ensures that. You know, ensures that there is a partnership between the Board of Trustees and, uh, you know, our co-applicant board. Another thing, you know, that I don't want to mention is that, okay, the, the co-applicant agreement also covers mutual obligations. So what <coughs> is the Board of Trustees' obligations to the co-applicant, you know, board and vice versa? Then we also have, you know, under what grounds can we terminate the relationship that we have, right? And, you know, I won't go into detail, you know, it's somewhat lengthy, but I, you know, I drafted that earlier with Mike, uh, so we're very familiar, we're more than happy to talk to you guys as far as, you know, what the co-applicant agreement is, and, you know, there's a section that also talks about amending the co-applicant agreement, and then, you know, as you role as a co-applicant board member, you know, your responsibility is to look at it, to make sure that it makes sense, to make sure that you have enough authority for you to be able to fulfill your, uh, you know, responsibilities to the healthcare for the homeless center. Now, the other piece that I do want to mention is, you know, now, with regards to the bylaws, is that, uh, like I said, you know, again, it covers, it mirrors what the co-applicant agreement does. Again, the way we operate the health center and how the board operates, it's governed by HRSA, compliance manual, uh, the co-applicant agreement, and then the bylaws. So, you know, everything has to align. And, you know, when we were addressing that, we, you know, we wanted to make sure that what we said on one document mirrors what the other document says and also complies with any applicable federal, state, or any other type of regulations that, you know, governs how we go about conducting, you know, our role as co-applicant board members. Uh, key points about the bylaws, you know, we have general authority, uh, you know, talks about the appointment process. Another, remember, I do want to clarify one thing. Niha, you, earlier you asked the term, right? And I did four to three years. So here's the deal. So for board member terms, you know, let's say once you join the board, it's four years. Officers, it's one year. One year. Okay, so just wanted to make sure that we're, okay, clarify. And you'll see that on, on the Bibles. Uh, the actions still stand. I think it's a great idea. Uh, so we'll go ahead. But I just wanted to put that out there. Just term for a board member, it's four years. Officers, one year. Okay. So then, you know, the other uh, section that's covered under the Bibles are conflict of interest, right? And that addresses on the what circumstances you know, someone, some of our board members may have to recuse themselves, right, where there's a conflict of interest, or uh, also covers circumstances where you have to disclose that there is a conflict of interest. And, you know, there's a definition as far as, you know, what a conflict of interest is. And, uh, again, you know, we recommend you to thoroughly read both documents to better understand, you know, your role and, uh, and HRSA and Alameda Health System and how we're all here to work together to better serve the communities. Mm -hmm. uh, and similarly to the co-applicant agreement, the bylaws also cover uh, amendments. And again, as board members, you're all to review those documents. And to the extent that there is a need to recommend that, you know, we need to amend the bylaws. So with that, uh, Heather, is there anything that you would like to add? Mark? I have one, uh, one <coughs> question. <clears throat> um, well, let me see. It's right on the tip of my brain here. Um, um, it's about 
at, at which point um, is there a, is there a threshold uh, in terms of <coughs> physically meeting together by every individual here as a member of the board whereby um, given the requirement of once a month uh, is there a limit to which a person who is absent for a significant amount of time and I put that in quotation a significant yeah. amount of time um, can they be voted out or is or is there any kind of uh, is there any kind of action that is um, um, that the board can take in order to replace that member um, and it could be um, for various reasons of course uh, they died or they moved away or um, or they, they simply lost interest but uh, just never told anybody. Yeah, no, very good question. So there is actually a provision that addresses that, you know, continuous absence or unexcused absences. And uh, what I did is that I added a procedural thing, right, where you give an individual, to the extent that they're still living in Britain, an opportunity, you know, to, you know, make a case for themselves. Uh, when there is consecutive absences that is affecting, you know, uh, the co-applicant board member, you know, I did include a provision that says that you may consider uh, you know, removing that individual. Yeah. But you didn't give a specific... Uh, is there? Yeah, I put a number. Oh, yeah. you did put yeah. a number. So there's okay. five consecutive meetings. Oh, five consecutive. Yeah. Okay. But, you know, the board... Can amend that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, any other questions? How are you guys doing? Do you need a stretch break? All right. So, um, we're moving along on the agenda. The next thing we're going to do is we're going to review the Alameda Health System Healthcare for the Homeless Center, that thing which you have authority over and that scope of work that you will be working on in your uh, duties as a co-applicant board member. So just a quick uh, overview of Alameda Health System. Uh, our mission is caring, healing, teaching, serving all. And our vision is <coughs> our commitment and values are here as well. I don't want to um, just read everything out loud to you, and you do have these things in your packet. So I mainly want to show you that they exist, answer questions, and, and just give you a, a brief overview. We have lots of facilities of Alameda Health System. You know, we've got Fairmont, Highland, San Leandro, Alameda, these hospitals. We have the ambulatory care clinics at Highland, East Mont Hayward, Newark, and Mobile, I highlighted them because those are the things that are in your scope, the ones that are highlighted, versus the other things that are part of Alameda Health System as a whole, but here for Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless co-applicant board, our oversight is Highland, Eastmont, Newark, and mobile clinics, those ambulatory care systems, not the hospitals. And coincidentally, <laughs> walking into the room right now uh, for our governance and leadership like of Alameda Health System, it's almost like we planned it. So we talked a little bit about earlier about our board of trustees and the president is Joe DeVries, and then our executive uh, director, chief executive officer for Alameda Health System is Delvecchio Finley, and he's here. So um, did you? Since you're here, would you like to say something? Well, your new I dare not take any of uh, too much of your time, uh, Heather, because you're delivering some, I'm sure, very pertinent information. But I wanted to just come by and say hi. Uh, so it is an incredible honor. I know you know this came about in some very uh, interesting ways for us to figure out that we needed to create this uh, construct. Uh, but I have to say one uh, thank you all really for 
uh, volunteering to serve uh, this community and this organization in this very uh, vital role for us. And uh, you all are an impressive collection of people, I have to uh, say, too, in terms of your various uh, backgrounds and experiences. So uh, I was uh, um, uh, pleased, but not overly surprisingly, that we had this type of talent in our community and people who get their uh, care uh, in various respects throughout the organization. So I, I, I can't underscore how important your, your voices will be in helping to shape the direction of the care that we provide for you, not just yourselves. And I take a point of personal pride that I get my care in our system, and as does uh, my entire family. Um, my wife gives me a hard time because she gets upset about stuff sometimes, but I can't control her because <laughs> it's my daughter. Uh, um, but we do, uh, and uh, my daughter gets her dental care, her care at Eastmont, her pediatric care here, and I get my care here, but my doctor just got moved to Eastmont, so I'll be going out to Eastmont as well. But uh, I am right alongside all of you, and again, I really just want to express my, my gratitude on behalf of the organization and, and the people we serve that you have chosen to share some of your time and talents with us. So thank you for being here. Thank you. Well, thank and I'm you. happy to answer any questions, but I want you to keep going. All right. Um, so th this, I know it's impossible to read, but this is just a highlight, and it is in your packet, that Alameda Health System as an organization is a very large and complex system. And I want to point out kind of where we land uh, as uh, co-applicant board. I'm just going to start calling us the CAB because it's a mouthful otherwise. You guys all know what I'm talking about now when I say the CAB. It's you, healthcare for the homeless, all that. And so we're ambulatory care services here, which is under our um, chief medical officer, right here. And then it goes up, here's Del Vecchio's name right here, the CEO. And above that is the board of trustees. And we're a co-applicant board. You are a co-applicant board in collaboration with the board of trustees as governance over this specific part of healthcare for the homeless here at ambulatory care. But we can look in more detail if you ever want to. Um, and that, oh, I forgot that this does funny things. All right, we reviewed this at our last meeting. It wasn't a meeting. We reviewed this when we met. I can't get away from the word meeting. It wasn't a meeting. Uh, when, we, when we gathered before you were appointed, we kind of talked a little bit about um, what this healthcare for the homeless center is at Alameda health system and in collaboration with Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless program. So since we talked about it already, I just put it up there. We can answer more. Look, there's more little secrets. Um, ambulatory care services specifically is led by Dr. Paula Bavaria and Catherine Horner, who you've met as well. And it covers ambulatory um, primary care services and specialty care services at those spaces that I described earlier. So this is just your reminder of there are things that are in scope at Alameda Health System and those things that are out of scope. And of course, I know you have a lot of interest sometimes in those things that are out of scope and you might want more information. And we might even ask you, even for some of the things that are out of scope, your opinion and to guide the Board of Trustees on some things specifically relating to people experiencing homelessness on those out of scope places. But your authority rests in scope, which is ambulatory clinics, primary care, it includes the same-day clinic, specialty care, dental, and mobile. Specifically, we have some grant dollars that are associated with your scope um, that come from, because we're the sub-recipient, that's what creates this relationship with HRSA, and that $616,000 per year, roughly, that's the upcoming fiscal year, um, and it covers mobile health, 
as well as the Homeless Coordination Office. So we kind of have these two places where those grant dollars sit. The Homeless Coordination Office is kind of this administrative office where I sit with Brenda, where we liaise with our Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Partners and talk about compliance and do our monitoring visits. And then there are those things which are mobile, which are direct service, where we're out caring for patients. And so the grant dollars supplement the funding for that mobile service. Um, our system as a whole, uh, the Healthcare for the Homeless, system was 26,000 patient visits. Again, we talked a little bit about this last time because it was on that chart that I gave you. And it talks a little bit about how many FTEs, um, how many employees it takes to serve the patients experiencing homelessness in ambulatory care, which is roughly 65. How much it costs us to do that, to over $10 million. Um, and, and how much revenue comes in through our patients. Um, that's usually Medi-Cal and then how much other revenue we need in order to provide that care, which usually comes from Measure A dollars. Remember, that's our tax in Alameda County. There's a little portion that goes in there, and other grants that help to balance our budget. Um, you guys will look at this budget each year, and you would approve the budget, and you'd ask a lot of questions about that budget. That's one of the things that you'll have oversight on and that we'll talk a lot about during um, our meetings. Um, so I know this is a lot of information as well and might be difficult to see, but one, there's 19 program requirements um, through HRSA, and so I'm highlighting some of them here, which is uh, program requirement four and program requirement five, uh, which is accessible hours of operation and coverage for medical emergencies during and after hours. So these are the things that we have to provide in order to be a compliant health center. This might be something that you look at to say, well, is this really accessible? Is this working for people? So this might be something that you would look at. What are the hours? Where are the services taking place? Um, and then what do we do for after hours care? And our system here is that you call your clinic after hours and they connect you with a provider and they'll call you back and help serve your needs. But these are some of the things that we get monitored on and some of the things we have to uh, provide in order to be compliant. Um, in addition, we have the mobile clinic, which is always a very exciting thing because this is, again, direct dollars that are the grant-funded dollars that help provide this service and um, it's supplemented by the grant dollars. And so I've just listed some of the places that mobile clinic goes. It's a very dynamic schedule, so it's hard to say Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays where exactly we'll be on any given month because it changes according to need um, and the availability of the team, but in general, it's going Monday through Friday from 9 till 4 p.m. at this point. That's what the schedule is. Other than the mobile health clinic, do we have um, what is properly known as uh, a street medicine team? The Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless program through Alameda County does have that, but our oh, health, okay. Alameda Health <coughs> System does not. So okay. as part of the larger health center, which is that collaborative effort with Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless program, street medicine teams exist, but um, we are, as the sub-recipient, we don't have a street medicine team. We have the mobile clinic and those all those brick and mortars that we described. So those are the things that I would call is your authority. Um, but it's helpful to know, and we'll have, hear from David probably during some meetings in the future around what are these other things that help fill in the gaps. If Alameda Health System can't provide it, is there something else within that system for people experiencing homelessness that is providing it? And that's where he would answer yes, and these are what they are. And so you can learn more about them. Um, so when people are coming in, we're identifying, identifying them as experiencing homelessness, um, usually during a registration process. We're looking at that data based on that registration, and when they're identified as homeless, 
um, we're using that to determine what the clinical outcomes are for those patients and we report on those each year through something called the universal data system, it's called UDS. There can be a lot of acronyms I might use if I'm using one and you're like, what is that? Please stop me. But that's a UDS. You'll hear me talk about UDS a lot. That's the uniform data, universal data system. Uniform data system? Uniform. I don't know what it is. It's the UDS report. Um, uniform data system. And so all of the uh, HRSA-funded programs feed their data into that system every year so that the nation can look at how are they serving people. Uh, throughout our country with this program called the 330H program. Or, well, the 330 program, including 330Hs. We're homeless specific. There are some that are 330s, not homeless specific. That is it. That's what I got for you. I have one question yeah. about uh, the financial aspect. Mm -hmm. um, um, under our current makeup, um, are we um, allowed or are we going to be given um, an actual overview of um, the general budget in any given fiscal year uh, um, that 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 concerns the actual services that we're supposed to be making decisions about. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So so there will be a timeline. <laughs> Typically, uh, we have to submit our budget a certain time each year. We're providing it to our our recipients our monitors, Alameda County, and so when those things are taking place, you that's when we put it on the agenda for you to review. So we do have an action item left. Yes, well, we're agenda. not even done with our meeting yet. That was, we're done with that presentation. Yeah. I still, so in our, on our agenda. Yeah. What is the 330? The H's. Okay. Thank you so much for asking, because I love to talk about it. So the 330 um, is the law. That is create that was created to help fund the um, health center programs. Health, health, yeah, they're called uh, community health center programs. And the H designates that that health center is for people experiencing homelessness. So um, I'll give an example. Like La Clinica de la Raza mm -hmm. is a 330 program, and also then leverages that to be a federally qualified health program. And they don't have an H. Um, they serve a population that's larger than the H population, and they're funded to do so. Here in our system, we've got this special little H, which says that our focus with our grant dollars from the federal government is for people experiencing homelessness, where the grant dollars that La Clinica, for example, might be receiving are not designated specifically for people experiencing homelessness. They're for the more the community at large. That would be the difference. They're different. Um, if you look, read the law, you'll see H, E, M. There's some various ones that designate special populations. Yeah, I figured the H part. I just didn't know what the 330. Yeah, the 330. It's the number of the law. Uh, it's the, the codified version. Code of the code. Yeah, yeah. Um, the funding of the, um, the funding of our program, our programs that um, actually specifically serve the homeless, is. Um, how is the actual annual budget arrived at? Is that by numbers? But but do do we do that by 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 counting the amount of people um, actually taking part in those services? Or so because of the brand act, we wouldn't be able to have that discussion at this moment. Oh, okay, but that's definitely something that we can put on the next okay. at the next meeting. Okay, I withdraw. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, so the next thing on the uh, next item on the agenda, you'll see we've just done um, that last bit of board orientation, um, and we're moving into a project director report. 
And so each meeting, we will include a project director report to talk about activities that are happening within this project that you have oversight over. Um, there is an attachment in your board packet that has a written version of the report. And in general, I'll be giving some very operational um, information and you can always refer to your report. But so for our health center compliance, I usually try to put it in big buckets as well. So there are some items around health center compliance. Um, one of the things that we need to be compliant is an active contract with our uh, agency, Alameda County, and so that is going to the Board of Supervisors for approval, at, or it's actually going to the Health Homeless Commission meeting for approval on their next meeting, which is June 21st. So the commission is kind of like your mirror image over with Alameda County. Also a public meeting, and also you're welcome, of course, to attend that. So it's similarly set up to ours, right? But remember, it's fine to have a majority of the board there as long as we're not talking about business that's related or falls within the jurisdiction of the co-applicant board. And your speaking would be similar here. You would be a member of the public at that point and required to do a speaker card mm -hmm. and address the board in that way, right? Um, one of the things that we do with uh, our Alameda County partners is that they do monitoring. It's called monitoring visits where they come and they see are we following all of the compliance um, <coughs> rules and they break that up into quarterly visits and we had one recently and they determined that we needed to do some work in order to be fully compliant and one of the items for example that they needed us to do was update our website to include a section that says healthcare for the homeless we did that the corrective actions that they asked us to do we completed all of them and so from their perspective what they've looked at so far we are a compliant board uh, or a compliant system. And then they have additional um, monitoring visits that are going to take place throughout the year. So one's coming up on July 29th, for example, and we may get a report back from that one saying, hey, we need you to do some more work in order to be compliant. We had another one recently we're waiting to hear back from, um, and so you would hear from me what those things are that they need us to do to become compliant from their perspective. Okay? Yeah. I have one question. Uh, uh, regarding uh, public participation at meetings or uh, being able to come to meetings, um, my question is, um, do we have an obligation, uh, other than, uh, of course, uh, having allowing the public uh, to come to meetings, uh, do we also have a, a, a second obligation in order to actually make the public aware that there is one? Uh, well, yes. So that's one of the, and it's part of, so our agenda covers a section that we call it public comment. And under that section, you know, provides information as far as how you go about, uh, you know, commenting during the meeting. And, you know, the Brown Act requires us to allow the public to not only comment before an item is discussed, you can also comment after the item has been discussed. Okay. So the public has a lot of, you know, rights as far as, you know, them being able to engage. Additionally, some of the things that we're working on within the program is hiring a program director. You'll see next to my name this interim program director. Um, we will be having a program director that's a medical doctor, and so we're working on finalizing that job description and doing some recruitment for a medical director who will be the project director. So I'm your sitting project director. I'm the person who's going to be engaging you with, with you for some time until that position is filled. Um, so that's in progress right now. 
Uh, you also will want to know that we're uh, transitioning to a new electronic health record um, that's called EPIC. And so we're doing a lot of work behind the scenes to make sure that we're ready for that and ready to be uh, able to report it to the UDS system at the end of the year. Uh, and that's what I have for you today in our project director report. So we have one more action item. And we're giving you an opportunity yeah, now so as the new chair. As the new chair of <laughs> um, is that our meeting time? Yes. So the motion will be, you know, for the co-applicant board to approve, you know, the meeting times and the schedule, you know, for the co-applicant board to meet. So you. So, um, yes, I'm motioning to approve our set meeting time of the second Tuesday of the month from 5:30 to 7:30. That's correct. Nice second. All in favor? Any abstentions? Aye. That's all in favor? Aye. 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 Okay. Got it. Great. Motion passes. Motion passes. <laughs> Great. It doesn't uh, appear that we have any public comment. But go ahead and make the announcement. So, yeah. uh, Mark, to your point, we'll make an announcement now, a formal announcement. So the chair will ask, you know, is there a member of the public that would like to speak? Is there a member of the public that would like to speak? I'll address the public and more. There is it. Right. Not public comment. No comment. Uh, uh, is there a member of the co-op to get board that have a comment? Okay. No comment. Before we adjourn. Yes. Um, I did. I did have a question for Heather. Um, you are the interim director. We're waiting for a, a medical director. The question is. Are you no longer going to be with us uh, if this if this person uh, once that's this uh, that other individual is appointed? Uh, at Alameda Health System, we have dyads, uh, usually two people working together: a okay. medical director and an administrative person who's doing a lot of the management and operations. Okay. And so it's still a partnership. But the person who's the named director um, would be the medical director who that. Oh, okay. I have a different title. I'm a practice manager. Okay. That's what you'll so they see don't necessarily would be taking your place. No. Okay. <laughs> Nobody can take my place. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of a kind. Uh, if there's no further questions, comments. Okay. I motion to adjourn the meeting. Second motion. All in favor. Aye. 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 So meeting is adjourned Meetings officially adjourned. at seven ten. Oh, so and twenty minutes earlier. So post-meeting business, we've provided you some forms. This is to help you uh, have your badge access so that you can use the parking lot and get in the doorway, as well as so we can set up um, your online access for your board vantage, that portal, and your email. And so I'll, if anybody needs help filling out their forms, see me and turn them into Brenda. And the last thing I'll mention is members of post-meeting. Oh, gatherings. Okay. Right. You told me that. <laughs> no discussions, even though we have majority here. There can be no discussions about you know business related to the public board. Blame Mike for putting me or making me present.